beautiful smile, and it's a beautiful dedication that we just saw. I pray that God will help them stay faithful to the very end. Amen. And with this kind of church to support him, I believe he can. Well, I'm very thankful to be here with you all and to conduct an evangelistic series coming soon. There's nothing that thrills my soul more than in sharing Jesus with others and meeting people in the streets, meeting people in the community that are on the verge of giving up and giving them hope. This is what the purpose of the church is, amen? It's to give hope to a hopeless world by sharing Jesus. Today's message is entitled, Give Me This Mountain. Give me this mountain. If we can, let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. My Father which is in heaven, I know some of us are probably very hungry. I pray, Lord, that you would stop the sounds that come from our stomachs for a little bit. That we would pay more attention to the sound of your voice than the sounds of our flesh. I pray, Lord, that you will satisfy us this morning even more. Thank you so much for filling my heart with this wonderful dedication, awesome Sabbath school, wonderful outreach team here, Lord. Thank you so much for allowing me to be here. I pray, Lord, that I may disappear and that Jesus will appear. For I pray, I pray this in his name. Amen. I am a co-porter. I've been canvassing for about eight years, and I have a lot of stories and wonderful testimonies and a beautiful experience with Jesus. And one of the most trying times in the canvassing work has been canvassing in different areas that are a little bit more secular and a little bit more scary. I, I canvassed my first summer in East L.A. in Compton, and I remember being there. I had the, I had the desire of ages, and in, back in the day, they had the cover of Jesus. And I remember walking in the streets of L.A., just flashing that cover everywhere I went. I didn't want, I want people to know that I was with Jesus. But another area that was kind of tough was in Chicago. Chicago was just very, it's very secular, very worldly, and it was very tough uh, to canvas there. People were just rude, really not interested, but there was a young man that encouraged me so. His name for this message sake, his name is Jesse, and Jesse, um, he was from Chicago, and so these people really didn't face him. He was very ecstatic about being in his hometown and sharing people Jesus, and so no matter how hard the door slammed, no matter how loud the voices cursed or try to push him away, he was just always happy and always enthusiastic. And it, very, it encouraged me and it left an impression on my heart that has never left me. And we developed a friendship in that experience. Never after that we communicated. But I remember about a year or so after that experience, Jesse sent me one of the most saddest text messages I've ever read or I've ever received. It said, David, I have fallen from grace and there is no way the Lord could get me, uh, receive me back. This was a man that encouraged me, a young man that really pushed me and motivated me to share Jesus. And I sent him text messages, I sent him promises, I, I did whatever I could, but no response from Jesse. You see, I slowly but surely, after the days went on, I never heard back from Jesse. In my mind, a mountain began to form, and the message of this mountain was, it is impossible to bring Jesse back. It is impossible to bring Jesse back. You know, God gives us missions. Can you say amen? God gives us great missions. The missions that he gives us are not impossible. What makes missions impossible are the first two letters of the word impossible. The first two letters of the word impossible, what word do they make up? I'm. 
What does that mean? Us. What makes missions impossible is not the mission, but it's oftentimes us that makes missions impossible. You know, God has given us a great commission. The Bible says in Matthew 28, verse 19, he says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We call this great mission the great what? Gospel commission. Do you guys hear something like, okay, hopefully it doesn't bother you. I don't know what it is. But the Bible says that we have been given the great gospel commission. What makes this mission of spreading the gospel possible is the first two letters of the word commission. The first two letters of the word commission signify what? A partnership. Amen? What makes missions possible, listen carefully, is being partnered with God. The Bible says we could do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Amen? So here it is, friends. What makes missions impossible is us. What makes missions possible is us uniting with Jesus. Now, in the Bible, there have been many faithful women, men and women, who have been given lots of missions. And in these missions, um, in these missions, many of them have thought it was impossible. Many have thought, oh, we cannot do it. For example... Moses, was he a great man of God? A man of faith? He was, right? When he was given the mission to go and free the children of Israel out of bondage, out of Egypt, what was his reaction? Was he jumping up and down saying, yes, I can do this? Was he just thrilled about going and facing off Pharaoh? No, the Bible declares that when God placed this mission before Moses, Moses' reaction was anything but excitement. The Bible says in Exodus chapter 4, verse 10, Moses' reaction was, Oh my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither heretofore nor since thou hast spoken unto your servant. I am of a slow speech and of a slow tongue. What makes missions impossible is when we focus on ourselves. Moses was focusing on himself. God gave him the mission. He was like, I can't do it. I cannot talk. I cannot, I cannot. I cannot speak, Lord. I cannot do this. And God did something, and I love it. In the next verse, he says, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes the dumb, the deaf, the seen, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what to say. God was trying to teach Moses a valuable lesson. That missions are only possible, successful, when you focus on the one who gives it to you. Amen? Give me this mountain is the sermon title for this morning. There was a man in the Bible, one of my favorite characters in all the Bible. I share his name. His name is David. And when he was going to go feed uh, his brothers in, 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 in the battlefield, when he was going off to go see his brothers, he saw this great tall Philistine by the name of what? Goliath, right? And all the children of Israel, were they ready and gung-ho about fighting Goliath? What was their reaction? Fear. They didn't want to do it. They, they thought this mission of conquering Goliath and the Philistines is impossible. And so they did nothing. They allowed this uncircumcised Philistine to mock the God of Israel. Until one day, a man of God walked into the encampment. And he saw this Philistine mocking 
God. And so he looked around, he started talking about with people and says, who is this guy? So he goes in front of Saul. And if you turn with me to your Bibles, you know this story, but I want to illustrate a beautiful point. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, he goes in front of Saul and he said something absolutely inspiring. He's looking at this mission of conquering Goliath. He's looking at this mission that everyone's afraid of and thinking it's not going to be possible. And notice what he says. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 37, when you're there, let me hear an amen. I hear pages turning. Beautiful sound. Are we there, amen? 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 37. Notice what David says. David said, moreover, the Lord that has delivered me out of the paw of the lion, out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said unto David, go, and the Lord what? Be with you. David, in essence, said, I could go conquer this Philistine. I could make this mission successful of defeating this giant. Why? Because I'm not focusing on myself. I'm not focusing on the armor you want to put on me. I'm not focusing on how perhaps many more soldiers we have than them. I am focusing on God. See, friends, God has given us a mission. And the only way we could be successful in this mission is by focusing on the one who is giving us the mission. Now, it was an interesting, uh, if you go to your scripture reading in Matthew 17, it's kind of an interesting story. In Matthew chapter 17, you have the transfiguration, Jesus and the three disciples that he took up. And the disciples, nine of them are down the mountain and they have a predicament. They have somebody that is demon-possessed, that, 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 that is being tortured. And as they are there, they, they, you know, they've done demon possession before. They've released demons from people. So this shouldn't be a big deal. But for some reason, they can't do it. So the Bible says when Jesus comes down, the Father comes to, to Jesus and says, Look, your disciples couldn't do it. And if you look at your scripture reading in Matthew chapter 17, the Bible says something amazing. Verse 17 Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him hither to me. And Jesus rebuked the devil, and he was departed out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. Then came the disciples to Jesus apart and said, Why could we not cast him out? Why was this mission impossible for us to do? We've done it before. Why couldn't we do it this time? Notice what Jesus says in verse 20. Jesus said unto them, because of your what, everybody? Because of your unbelief. For verily I say unto you, if you have faith as a grain of a mustard seed, you shall say unto this mountain, remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove. And the Bible says, and nothing shall be what, everybody? Impossible for you. When I read that promise, I get so ecstatic. So excited. This is an amazing promise. The Bible says, Jesus says, that if you just believe, nothing is impossible for you. Oh, you guys are not excited about that promise. Wow. Nothing. Let me uh, tell you a story. When you canvas, there is lots of mountains or obstacles that come your way. Um, most of it is yourself. Oh, it's too hot outside. Ooh, this is rich territory. I cannot do this. 
Oh, this is poor territory. They don't have enough money. Oh, I'm only eating twice a day. I can't. The list goes on. I remember one particular day I was in Oklahoma, canvassing. And um, there were people in this community that were not getting books. And I started getting this mindset like, there is nobody interested here. And finally, after certain people yelling at me and saying, go, go away, no soliciting, I just had enough. And I said, God, give me one person. Just one. Help me have me one person that needs you right now, Lord, please. All of a sudden, as I'm running to the next door, I hear screaming and yelling. I turn around, and there's this elderly man that is running towards me, flaring his arms. Never seen him before, and I'm thinking, oh, man, he's, he's one of those trying to kick me out. And so he runs up to me, and he finally gets to me, and he's trying to catch his breath, and he says, I need that book. Never seen him before. Never knocked on his door. And I said, excuse me, sir, which book? And he said, I need the book with the eagle on it. And if you don't know, back in the day, like eight years ago, the book with the eagle on it was called Steps to Christ, it's, or Peace Above the Storm, Steps to Christ. And he said, I need that book with the eagle on it, and I didn't have it in my hand, said, so he began to cry. He said, you don't have that book, and he begins to weep. He begins to cry, and I'm looking like, what in the world's going on? I said, sir, I have that book with the eagle on it. It's in my bag. So I took my bag off my back, and I grabbed that book with the eagle on it, and as soon as he saw that eagle on that cover, he grabbed that book like a baby, put it to his chest, and he began to weep. I'm standing here thinking, what is going on? As tears are streaming down his face, he keeps looking at the book, putting it on his chest, looking at the book, putting it on his chest. I said, sir, why do you need this book so much? He said this, I'll never forget this. He said, young man, I am about to die. And I don't know who God is. He said, I was sitting in my living room a few minutes ago. And I heard the voice of God speak to me. He said, if you want to know me before you die, there's a young man outside with a book with an eagle on it that will lead you to me. There's a world that is lost. We're too comfortable, friends. There's mountains that are set before us, these obstacles, and, and we think, oh, I cannot do evangelism, or I cannot witness for the Lord, or I cannot speak for the Lord, or I, I, I just can't do this for the Lord. And you make this mountain up. Or you say, I'm too busy with work, I'm too busy with my family. We make mountains out of nothing. God wants to tell you today, you can move it. And all it takes is faith. Now, let me ask you a question. In the Bible, do you find men and women of, of great faith? Come on, speak to me. I love, I'm Hispanic and I need interaction, please. <laughs> In the Bible, do you find men and women with great faith? Let me ask you a question then. In the Bible, the Bible, Jesus says, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, what can you do to the mountain? You can move it. So let me ask you a question. Is there anyone in the Bible who's ever moved a mountain? Now, if you were in Sabbath school, I see some of your faces. You better not say nothing. 
or excuse me, first service, not Sabbath school. Is there anyone in the Bible that's moved a mountain? All right. You guys ready? No, some of us aren't. Too bad. Here we go. The Bible says, I'm not going to tell you where, but I'm going to tell you some names, and I want you to tell me the story. All right, you guys ready? I want you to tell me who this person is. First person. You better know it. Are you ready? Come on, if you're ready, say amen. Amen. All right, first person, tell me who it is. Shamua. Mmm, good old Shamua. Anybody know who Shamua is? Come on, people of the book. Let's try again. How about Shaphat? You guys don't know Brother Shaphat. Mmm. All right, let's try another name. Let's see if you get it. Ilgal. You don't know who Ilgal is? Mercy. Try again. Palti. Brother Palti. Anybody? Mm. All right. How about Gadiel? Anybody know Gadiel? Nobody here. Mm. How about <laughs> Gaddy, who's not related to Gadiel? Anybody know who Gaddy is? Okay. Amiel? Anybody know Amiel? You guys are looking at me weird. <laughs> Reading the Bible, man. Sethor. Anybody know who Brother Sethor is? Nabi? Nabi? I should call that, I should call my wife that when she's nagging. Nabi. Just kidding. Her name is Abby. Last one. Are you guys ready? Gail. Any of you know who these men are? I'm going to say two names, and automatically you're going to know who it is. Joshua and Caleb. What story am I talking about? The 12 spies. Why is it that when I name the 10 spies, nobody knows who I'm talking about? Let me share with you this, and don't forget it. Nobody remembers people who fail. We only remember people that succeed. Joseph, or excuse me, Joshua and Caleb were men that succeeded. There were men that were different. You see, the only way we can make a difference in this world is if we are different from the world. Turn to your Bibles to Numbers 13. Very quickly. Believe it or not, I'm almost done. Some of you are happy. Numbers 13. When you're done in here, hearty, happy, awake, amen. As we continue on the topic, give me this mountain. Numbers chapter 13. Right there, enemy here, an amen. amen. The Bible says in Numbers 13, let's pick up in verse 25. You know the story, but I want to bring out something that's powerful. In Numbers 13, verse 25, notice what the scripture says. And they returned from searching the land after 40 days. And they went and came to Moses, to Aaron, and to all the congregation of the children of Israel, unto the wilderness of Perdon to Kadesh, and brought back word unto them and unto all the congregation, and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told them and said, We came unto the land whither you sent us, and surely it flows with milk and honey, and this is the fruit of it. Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell on that land, the cities are walled and very great, and moreover we saw the children of Anak there. 
The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, the Hittites and the Jebusites, the Amorites. They dwell in the mountains. The Bible says, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. And notice this. The Bible says in verse 30, and Caleb did what? Quieted or calmed or stilled the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once. Let's possess it. For we are well able to overcome it. Powerful friends. Ten men are giving this terrible report like, oh, it's everything we dreamed of. Everything that God ever told. It's there. It's right there. It's beautiful. Look at this grape. Amazing. It's like the Costco grapes. Huge. And they're like, it's, we, it's in right here. It's right there. We saw milk and honey like flowing like you've never seen. However, we can't get it. These guys are too big. And later on in the chapter, it says that we are grasshoppers in their sights. Terrible report. Why is it that these ten spies think that this mission is impossible? No faith? Amen? Well, there it is. Because in this mission, they were looking where? We can't do it. We're too small compared to them. They're too big compared to us. There's no way we could do it. Their walls are fortified, lifted up. There's no way we could conquer them. We cannot do it. Next chapter, verse 5. Chapter 14, verse 5. The Bible says, Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel, and Joshua the son of Nun, and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, which were of the lands, rent their clothes. They spake unto all the company of the children of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to search it, it is an exceeding good land. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into the land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Write this verse down. Highlight it, circle it, verse 9. Powerful. Notice this. Only rebel not ye against the Lord, neither fear ye the people of the land, for they are bread for us. Their defense is departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Fear them not. Powerful. Why is it that Caleb and Joshua, why is it that they weren't afraid? Why is it in their mind this mission was possible? Why? Instead of looking at themselves, they were looking at God. God is with us. Their defense is departed. Why? Because God is right here. Uh, I grew up in a Hispanic family. My, my grandmother, my mother's side is Puerto Rican. My mother has 12 brothers and sisters. And my father is Mexican. I grew up in a huge family. My wife, she has five cousins and no siblings, and that's as big as her family gets. So when I brought her to my family, she had a huge culture shock. But she made it through, and now we're married and we're happy. And let me tell you something. Uh, my grandmother was a godly woman. Love her. She taught me how to pray, taught me how to read. She taught me Spanish. Very godly woman. She was Catholic, converted into an Adventist, and she was not afraid to share her faith with anybody. I remember about a year before she died, she had a stroke. I went to visit my sweet grandmother in the, in the hospital, and as I knelt down her bed as she, she was waking up, I looked at her, and, I, and I, I almost started to cry. I was holding it back. Couldn't believe this matriarch of the family was leaving us. As I was looking into her eyes, she said, David, Avisito, that's what she calls me, I am not 
afraid to die. She says, I know in whom I believe. But then she said this that shook my world. She says, I am afraid of one thing, though, that my kids will not make it to heaven. She began to cry. She's like, I'm not afraid of anything. I'm not afraid about myself, what happens to me, but my kids, my grandkids. David, I'm afraid that some of them have rejected the truth. David, I'm afraid that some of them have done so many drugs that their mind is not capable of understanding the word. David, I'm afraid I'm going to lose some of them. I looked into her eyes. I said, Grandmother, by God's grace, I will do whatever I can to win them. I've seen my uncle, whose mind has been the most polluted in drugs for 30, 40 years, get baptized into the Seventh-day Adventist church with a right mind. Can you say amen out there? About a year after this, though, I get a call on Friday morning, 1.24 a.m. How many of you like getting calls at that time? We don't like the alarm clock waking us up at 7. 1.24 a.m. I picked up the phone. It was my aunt, her daughter. said, Davisito, David, grandma is demon-possessed. We need your help. I'm like, what in the world? You guys need to go to bed. You guys are having a terrible nightmare. Grandmother's a saint. So no, 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 she's demon-possessed. She's yelling. I could hear her in the background screaming and yelling. I said, oh, no. I said, okay, I'll be right there. I started putting on my clothes, started getting ready. Got another phone call. It was my aunt again. David, are you almost here? Hurry up. Grandma is screaming out your name. And I could hear her, Davisito, ayúdame. Help me, David. Help me. I got in my car and I was trembling. I've dealt with demon possession before. I've been to India, Philippines just a couple weeks ago. We dealt with something like that. But when it's family, it's something else. I got in my car. The first thing that came into my mind was, I can't do this. This is too hard. It's my grandmother. I can't walk into her house knowing that she's like this. Knowing that she's hurting, I can't do this, Lord. I remember pulling up to her driveway thinking, Lord, I can't get out of this car. But I could hear her screaming. I could hear your yelling. I said, Lord, this is a mountain I cannot move. Walked into her living room. My grandmother was looking around, screaming and yelling. Went up to her bed, grabbed her hand. I began to pray and quote scripture. My grandmother subsided. She calmed down. She laid down. My hands were so relieved. They said, David, we haven't gotten a week of sleep. Do you mind watching, grandmother, while we try to get some sleep? I said, sure. I sat there, lay there on the living room couch just watching my grandmother. When all of a sudden my weak grandmother started to get up again. And I looked at her, and I had my Bible in my hand, and she said, Davisito, necesito usar el baño. I need to use the restroom. I was like, okay, that sounds all right. Grabbed my aunts. My aunts carried her, picked her up, and as they were taking her to the bathroom, she, something stopped her. She had an oxygen line, and it stopped. She couldn't move. 
And so my aunt said, David, what's going on? So I, I follow the oxygen line, and earlier, or that day before, they brought in a table or a tank or something, and it was crushing the oxygen line, pinching it. So my grandmother, for about half a day, wasn't getting enough oxygen to her brain. As soon as I saw that, I lifted the table up. I heard the air. My grandmother used the rest, and when she came out, she was singing, praising God. Let me tell you something. What makes missions impossible is us allowing something to pinch the line that connects us to God. What makes missions impossible is allowing doubt and discouragement and fear and, 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 and grief or whatever it may be to be a mountain before us and God. What is your mountain today? Maybe you have unconverted family members. that in your mind, it seems impossible they're going to come to the Lord. Maybe it's your own children. Maybe you're having marital problems. There's a huge mountain between you and God. I want to give you hope today as we close. Turn to your Bibles to Joshua chapter 14. Joshua, the 14th chapter. Joshua chapter 14. As we are concluding on the topic of give me this mountain. Joshua chapter 14 when you're there and you hear an amen, we're looking at verse 6. Joshua 14, verse 6. Then the children of Judah, I like that name, you like that name? Came unto Joshua and Gilgah, and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said unto him, You know the thing that the Lord said unto Moses, the man of God, concerning me and you in Kadesh Barnea. Forty years old was I when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. And I brought him word again as it was in my heart. Notice this next verse. Nevertheless, my brethren that went up with me made the heart of the people to melt. But I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land where your feet have trodden shall be yours and your children's forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord. Now notice verse 10, inspiring. And now... Behold, the Lord has kept me alive, as he said, these 45 years, even since the, the day the Lord spake the word unto Moses, unto the children of Israel, wandered in the wilderness, and now, lo, I am this day 85 years old. And verse 11, as yet, I am as strong this day as I was in the day that Moses sent me. As my strength was then, even so is my strength now, for war both to go out and to come in. Amen. Here he is, Caleb. He is 85 years old, and he's saying, you know when I was 40 years old, you know my strength? I am just as strong then as I am now. How many of you could say that? I'm looking back in high school not too long ago. I'm saying, man, I was way stronger then than now. In Caleb's case, Maybe to some degree that's true, but I think the majority of this verse is talking about is his faith. My faith is as strong as it was then, as it is now, and check this verse out. I love it as we're concluding. The Bible says in verse 12, Now therefore, give me this mountain. 
Wherefore the Lord spake in that day, for you heard in that day when the end comes were there, and that the cities were great and fenced. If so, the Lord will be with me, then I shall be able to drive them out, as the Lord has said. There was a man that moved the mountain. This was a man that moved all the giants from that mountain. All the walled cities broke them down. Here was a man whose faith said, I can do it because you are with me. We could do a lot of great things for the Lord, though. We could move mountains for God, but that will not save you. Isn't the great Paul in the, in the love letter, in the, cha- the love chapter in 1 Corinthians 13 said, you can move mountains, but if you do not have love, it doesn't profit you anything. My friend Jesse texted me after a year of praying for him. He said, David, what does the cross mean to you? I thought in my mind, this guy's mocking God. He doesn't really want to know. He's fallen from grace. There's no way he can come back. So I didn't want to text him. God kept convicting me, text him, send him something. What do I mean to you? And so I sent him from my heart what the cross meant to me, and he never responded. I knew, and I said, God, why did I even waste my time? Then God put a thought in my mind. He said, David, you ask him what the cross means to him. Come on. I already know what it means. It means nothing. He's fallen from grace. He's fallen from me. He doesn't want you. Why should I waste my time? And God said, do it. I said, Jesse, what does the cross mean to you? His response has changed my life. He said, Christ would have rather died alone than to live without me. Christ would have rather died alone than to live without me. Jesse did a lot of great things for God. But he found that there's nothing greater than knowing the love of God. He found it at the cross again, friends. My brother Jesse had re-given his life over to the Lord. What's your mountain today? God can move it. What's your problem today? God can solve it. I'm a co-porter. I love canvassing. I love literature. In Oklahoma, I developed a condition. Doctors say it's stress, but... I'm too blessed to be stressed. Can you say amen? (laughs) And my lips, they get inflared. And they get really big. And when you canvas, it's kind of hard to talk. Oklahoma, I bought this thing called Vaseline. Any of you know what that is? (laughs) And I put it on my lips. And it felt good. And it would soothe it. But my fellow canvassers thought I was addicted to substance. So they removed my Vaseline and hid it from me, and I, had, I didn't have it. I said, David, you need to trust in the Lord more. I said, oh, okay, I've tried. They took it away, never gave it back. I remember it was a hot summer day, and I was knocking on doors, and I could feel my lips cracking. I could feel my lips getting bigger. 
And I said, Lord, I need your help. I came to this door. Woman, I was sharing her the books. This woman loved it. She said, this is an answer to prayer. Praise the Lord. She was so happy. Then all of a sudden, her smile turned to a frown. She was looking at me, and then all of a sudden, she just turned scared. Her face became worrisome, and she became scared, and she just, her mouth dropped. She was like, I'm like, what in the world? When all of a sudden, I felt this warm stuff coming down my face. My lips had completely opened, and blood was coming down my face. This woman's looking at me like, oh, like what in the world? And I'm looking at her, blood streaming down my face, and I'm like, oh. And she said something. She said, this was during the time of the swine flu. She said, did you get your swine flu shot? And I said, no. I didn't get the swine flu shot. She threw the books at me. She says, I got to go. As she was closing this door, uh, the door, slamming the door on my bloody face, I thought, for a second, this is a mountain, Lord. I can't move it. But as she was closing the door, I said something. I said, ma'am, do you have any prayer requests? She was about to slam, as she was slamming the door, I said, do you have any prayer requests? And she's looking at me. Here I am, bleeding. And I am asking her if I could pray for her. And as the door's about to slam, and as I say those quick words, she she opens the door a little bit more, and she says, what did you say? I said, would you like to pray? Do you have any prayer requests? She opened the door and took a step out. She says, I do have prayer requests. Can you pray for this? Can you pray for this? Can you pray for this? Pray for this? I said, absolutely. Can I pray for you right now? You know what this woman did? She grabbed my hands filled with blood. We knelt down on her lawn. And I prayed for her. At the end of the prayer, this woman is crying uncontrollably. She grabs those books back that she threw at me. She says, young man, this is the day that my life has changed. What is the mountain you have? Maybe it's a physical problem. A sickness. Maybe when you look at this evangelistic series that's coming up, you're thinking, oh, we've already done this before. Maybe it wasn't successful. Maybe it was successful. Maybe I didn't participate. Maybe I shouldn't. Whatever doubts may be running through your mind, whatever family problems you have, whatever issues you are going through, whatever mountain you are facing, God can move it. Amen. How many of you today have a mountain? And you've been lying to yourself long enough. You've been saying, Lord, I cannot move this mountain. It's too big. My debt is too much. My family problems are too great. But today, you recognize that there is nothing impossible when you believe. You have a you have a mountain right before you, but today you want to say, Lord, can you move it? Bring my son back to you. Bring my daughter back to you. Lord, help my marital problems. 
my finances. Help them, Lord. This evangelistic series, Lord, help me to be more involved. How many of you have a mountain today that you want God to move? If that's you, I want you to stand. I got a mountain before me, Lord. I need you to move it. I need your help. Lord, you have said there is nothing too hard for you. So I lift my voice believing in that promise. And I bow my head in recognition as we pray. My sweet Father, you want us to move mountains today. You want us to start looking at the pro- our, our, our problems and the problems of this world not as a means of, of, of failure, Lord, but as a means of success. You want us to look at the missions that are set before us, not as a means of failure, Father, but a means of success. Father, I pray that you will allow us today to not anymore allow ourselves to get in the way of the mission you placed before us. Help us, Lord, to believe that you're with us. To believe that you could help us in our marital problems. To believe that you could bring our kids, our family members, our friends back to you, Father. Help us to believe that you are the same God that said those promises that can move mountains yesterday, today, and forever. Today we lift up our head to you, Lord. Saying we're done looking at ourselves. We're now going to fix our eyes on the only one that could help us. Help us is my sincere prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Powerful message. Standing as we sing our final hymn, hymn number 326, Open My Eyes That I May See. We'll sing one stanza of hymn number 326. Father, we need your spirit today Amen. to do things that seemed impossible. Amen. We ask, Lord, that our line of connection, that spirit that communes with us and God, will stay alive and real in our life. We pray, Lord, that you will bless little Judah. Amen. That from an early age, Lord, he could move mountains. Amen. Pray for this church, Lord, as we are getting ready to conduct an evangelistic series. Amen that you may help us move Fallbrook to their knees and seeing their need for you. Amen. Lord, I pray that you will move the mountains and problems in our life. Mm-hmm. That you will help us, Lord, believe that you can, for you promise you could. Bless us, I pray now, 
In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Everyone is invited for our fellowship lunch after our service.